time stops for no man. So, you know, as you're pushing through to strive for your goal, you know, realize that no matter, don't take time for granted, I could say. Hey, I'm really excited to announce that we're hosting our fifth annual Unbeatable Minds Summit on December 1 to 3, 2017, right here in Carlsbad, California. Now, last year we had an amazing lineup of guests. My friend Rob Wolf, Jimmy Chin, Ben Greenfield, Jesse Itzler, and others. And this year we're going to have an unbeatable lineup as well. As a thank you for listening to my podcast, I'm offering you a $250 discount if you want to attend this year's summit. Simply go to summit.unbeatablemind.com, that's summit, S-U-M-M-I-T dot unbeatablemind.com, and enter the discount code unbeatable250, unbeatable250. That code expires on May 29th, so get busy and go enroll today. Trust me, this event is a life changer. Hoo-yah. All right, hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind podcast, and I am here in Encinitas, California, at our uh, current Sealed headquarters. And you may have heard, actually, soon not to be. <laughs> in October, we'll be moving, but hey, that does not impact you. And today, I have a really cool guest, a teammate, a Navy SEAL, Chris Ring. So, in a moment, we're going to well, I'll introduce you more to Chris Ring. And, and if you're at, if you're a member of Sealed Online, you'll be able to actually see the video because we'll have that at uh, Sealed Online. Before we get started, can I remind you that if you haven't rated the podcast, it's very helpful for other folks to find it. And you can only rate it at iTunes, so go to iTunes and um, find the podcast, and then if you can rate it, that'd be cool. If you're not on our email list, go to our email opt-in at unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. Then you can um, you know, stay up to date on what the heck's going on around here. All right, and uh, as usual, all sorts of cool things happening and new stuff happened around here. And one of them I'd like to announce is our new SealFit.com website. Just went live this week, along with the new SealFit Bootcamp integrated training program, which integrates the best of our mental training into a functional fitness program, minus the barbells. So if you can imagine kind of a blend of CrossFit, SealFit mental training, and P90X, that's what this is. It's like a video series you can follow along with me and my coach is training with some athletes, but we've taken out some of the things that get people injured. So it's a pretty cool program. All right, so Chris, thanks for joining us. Chris Ring is, like I said, he's a teammate, Navy SEAL. We're gonna talk a little about his uh, SEAL team here. He spent about 10 years on active duty tours in Afghanistan and Iran. Um, Iran, <laughs> maybe Iran, but you Close. won't be telling me about those. <laughs> Iraq. And uh, recently out doing some charity work. Um, I met Chris uh, just a few weekends ago when he came to audit the Kokoro camp and uh, take a look at that and potentially become a coach for uh, our SEALFIT Kokoro training. Chris, uh, thanks for making the time today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So um, I like to start out, you know, I don't have any like canned questions. I like to have these things kind of flow and see where they go. But I always like to kind of get a sense for who the guy is um, in the early years. Like what were some of the what were some of the experiences in your early life that kind of shaped who you are today? Like, where are you from? What was your family like? What was that like way before the SEAL teams? So I grew up in Tennessee. I'm from close to Nashville area, a little bit uh, about 50 miles south of it. So I grew up in very rural Tennessee, grew up on a, on a river. So as a, as a young kid, I'm, I'm running through the woods all day long, you know, nice. playing on the river, swimming around, shooting guns here and there. And um, just really just 
playing off my imagination, you know, mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. over and I'm the type of, you know, back then you go out all day until your parents are yelling at you at night to come back inside, yeah. you know. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just grew up, you know, just being active, just being out in the woods and sports again as a, as a young kid, always playing as many sports as I could, just mm-hmm. getting that What you know, type of sports were you, were you attracted um, to? Young, I'd played pretty much everything, you know, mm-hmm. running, baseball, football. I even swam a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. which we'll get into later, obviously. But uh, I, I, I dabbled in everything, basketball, dabbled in everything. And then as I grew up, I kind of started limiting to what down the road where I wanted to go. So mm-hmm. at a young age, I knew I wanted to be in the military at some point. Did you? Really? I just, I was just drawn to it. I like the, the whole lifestyle, just like. Was your family, any military members in your family? No, no one, yeah. no one in the military. I was the first one. Um, and it, I don't, there's something about it. I was just drawn to it that just like the, the group of guys going out there together and just, you know, overcoming obstacles and just working together in that teamwork. And I just, the funny part was growing up, I knew I wanted to be in the military, but I didn't know what, mm-hmm. but I didn't know for a fact I did not want to be in the Navy. Oh, no growing kidding. Up, I was like, whatever it is, it's not going to be <laughs> in the Navy. Navy. Yeah. Well, and, cause your impression was big gray ships. Yeah, that's all I knew. Yeah, I thought I was like, like, oh, Navy, you know, it's going on the ships and it's not, not, not my thing. I like, you know, being around the water, but you know, mm-hmm. not that I'd want to be at, Growing up, I was like in the woods and stuff, so that's what I wanted to do, you know, mm-hmm. be active and just on land. And, but then I one day just saw like a documentary on TV about, mm-hmm. about seals. Mm-hmm. And you know, what really drew me to it was it had, I can still picture now, it had a picture of the class starting out mm-hmm. and then what they were, how many graduated. Mm-hmm. And seeing the huge difference of how many were here to how many finished. That's wild. And it, it clicked right there, like, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, just seeing how challenging that is, and I want to push myself to be the best. Whatever's the best out there, that's what I accomplished, mm-hmm. and that's that was it right there. That that, that, that that very thing has inspired so many people. I mean, there was an element of that that kind of inspired me even in my day. But we that was well, I went through well before that documentary. I remember what you're talking about. That was Discovery Channel, something like the, that. The yeah. making of Class 226 or something like that. Or? <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it was. You know, I was like, you know, nine years old or thir- like 13. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but just sitting there and happened to be on TV. And it was like, I just saw part of this training. I was like, that's cool. What is that? Yeah. And then I started watching, and I. Learned about it right there. I was like, that's it. So that's when you decided. And what, um, how old were you when that happened? I want to say I was 13 or less. Really? I, I, was, pre- I was pretty young. I was, I was still in grade school and stuff like that. But I was just, you know, that was it. It was that yeah. moment. So once I learned what it was, then I started doing, reading books and researching mm-hmm. what, what do they do? You know, because mm-hmm. I saw that little snippet. But I was like, what makes it so difficult for, has that all those, you know, look like big, strong men and then finishing with so few of them. Mm-hmm. So I started researching what it entailed, what it, what it took and what they actually did. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, that's, that's it right there. Yeah. Your parents were aware of this fascination with the military? They were. Were um, they supportive or what do they think? They were very, they were very supportive. And they've always been, you know, do what you want to do, but just be passionate about what you want to do and, yeah. then, and then shoot yeah. for it. Yeah. So once they saw how passionate I was, they were behind me 100%. Mm-hmm. You have any brothers or sisters? Or? I have one older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more of the brains, I can say. He, he's the smart kid yeah. <laughs> in, in the family. He didn't go into the military. He did not. He, he does like some contractor work for the military. He's a, he's a smart guy, but not, uh, not in the military itself. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so you knew you wanted to become a SEAL once you saw that documentary. You obviously just yeah. kept doing what you were doing as a physically active guy. Did you do anything specific to train for it? So, like I was saying, I started doing a lot of sports. I started tailoring it as yeah. I got into high school. So, in high school, you know, I started off with football, swimming, track, and cross country. Okay. And then I got rid of the football and focusing on swimming and track. And I swam for two years, and then I focused on just the running aspect mm. of, of track and cross country. 
so I went from that to reading about it, like how much endurance is involved. Mm -hmm. So I was comfortable in the water. You know, mm -hmm. I learned to swim when I was like two years old. My dad mm -hmm. was a huge swimmer. Mm -hmm. So I learned really young. So I was comfortable in the water. I could do the swim. So I was like, all right, let's move on to what? To push something stronger and better at. And that was running. So let's improve that. Mm -hmm. And I just focused on all that. Because, you know, all those endurance sports, is such a mental aspect yeah. whenever you're doing them. Because mm -hmm. you're, especially the individual aspect. So if you're on a, an individual race or like a swim or around a track for a distance like mm -hmm. you're in your head you're the one pushing mm -hmm. you know yourself you you may have like track like members like team members mm -hmm. and you're still fighting for a team but you're still in your own battle yeah. for that that I, I also did endurance sports swimming track and then um i got into triathlons so i know i kind of have a sense for what you're talking about but what do you think it was about those two sports in particular that what did it do for your mind and what were the mental what changed in you that allowed you to um endure the hardship and then, you know, succeed at buds. How do they help you? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah, so I really chose those two because I knew that was going to be involved in buds and being a seal was, you know, swimming and, yeah. and running. But what really worked for me or what helped me develop and be become stronger was the mental aspect of overcoming the difficulties. Um, no matter what the pain is, whatever it was mm -hmm. of, of realizing what it was and seeing how far I could push myself. Mm -hmm. So you know, a lot of those are time-based. So mm -hmm. whether you're swimming or running, you're trying to beat that fastest time. So you mm -hmm. can realize the barriers and you have something to strive for. So mm -hmm. I knew like how difficult I'm feeling now, it's going to be over at some point. You know, this mm -hmm. is like a, whatever distance this is, whatever time this is, every second is ticking by. And that's mm -hmm. what something I applied when I showed up at Buds. I heard an instructor say, one time, time stops for no man. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that stuck with me from that moment to mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. And so I always thought about no matter how painful or difficult this little piece of running or swimming is, that every second it's taking by and I'm getting that closer to overcoming this obstacle. So this mm -hmm. race, you know, I'm, say I'm running a, a three-mile race, you know, every mile is taken down, every step is something. So you just learn to keep pushing yourself and strive to be to overcome how difficult it is and mm -hmm. be better every single time you do it. And, and when you hit that like wall inside your head, even if you're only like three quarters of the way through an evolution or an event, what was it that you would tell yourself to kind of step over the line? So I would focus, when I was hitting that wall, and I re, like most common people think about how much they have left to do. Yeah. Like you're hitting that wall, you're like, oh crap, I still have two miles to go. Right. I started thinking about more how much I've already accomplished. Hey, I've already knocked out a mile. I've already mm -hmm. knocked out this distance, mm -hmm. you know, and I start fractioning. And then I start focusing on not how far I have to go, but each, I start getting a rhythm for mm -hmm. myself right. to keep going. So whether you, how your breathing is mm -hmm. or how your stride is and correlating, mm -hmm. like connecting the two. So mm -hmm. I started focusing on, on that at, at the now moment, not mm -hmm. how far I got to go, but on the now. Mm -hmm. And we start focusing on the now. Shortly later, you realize how far you've already come again. Oh, wow, I've already done another mile. Oh, yeah. Now two miles are behind me. And then you start you know, taking chunks at it. So people look mm -hmm. at it, you know, buds or anything as, as a big chunk, but you got to break it into the smaller chunks. That applies to, to anything yeah. you really yeah. do, from buds to, to races, you know, mm -hmm. small chunks. Yeah, what I love about that, and it's kind of what's coming back to me, is that quote you just said is, the clock doesn't stop, but your relationship to time can change. Exactly. Right. And so when you bring yourself to the now, like you said, all of a sudden you're not focusing on the tick, 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 tick. And that goes away, even though the clock is still running and you're in these timeless moments. And then, you know, like I imagine, and we'll get to it later on the river or like the six mile, you know, swim we did in buds. There's like miles that you just 
or uh, large distances where you miss it. You know what I mean? You oh, just yeah. are like, whoa. You come out of it and you're like, holy shit, man. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. remember what the hell is going on for the last 45 minutes because you were so focused on something else. And I think that's huge in any in an aspect is losing yourself in what you're doing. Right. Because then it just makes it time go by that much faster without even realizing it. And do you think that is a skill that can be developed? I think it is. Yeah. I think it's something that, you know, when, when people start off anything, everything's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, starting off working out. So if someone's worked out while they're getting into it again, so it's a bit of, bit of a struggle at first, but mm-hmm. then they get more, you learn to adapt. Right. So I think it's all a process of just adapting and learning how to mm-hmm. focus and lose yourself in that challenge or mm-hmm. difficult moment. Yeah. So what Bud's class did you go through? I graduated with 264. 264. And what, give me a time frame, like, what year was it? <laughs> it was two, early 2006. 06. Yeah. Okay. So 2006, so you were in for 10 years. So you got out in around 2016, about last year? 2015, yeah. 2015. So tell us a little bit about your Bud's experience. How many guys showed up? How many graduated? What was the... What were the highlights and, and some of the, you know, the, the shitty you know, moments? <laughs> so that's the thing about Buzz is like, it's when you're going through it, it can be so miserable at times, but yeah. it's one of those times, then you look back and like, wow, that was some of the best times of my life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's a lot of the, the difficult times that people experience. You look back on and it kind of like molded you who you are and you look mm-hmm. back and you appreciate how difficult those things were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, like sometimes I was like, wow, this is, this is miserable, but then while later, like, oh, that was pretty awesome yeah, at the same exactly. time. So it was one of the experiences that you, know, you, you meet so many awesome guys. You, know, you can show up nervously, not really knowing anybody, but you know, shortly later, then you are just got best friends all over the place. And, right. you're, and that's where the, the evolutions and stuff like that, they're going through the exact same thing you mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. So that's just another boost. Like, hey, that look over, if you're having a hard time, everyone's going to have a low point mm-hmm. in, in training and in, in life. And that's when you look to the guys and teammates around you and they're there for each other. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm having a bad day on something like that, there's another guy there to lift you up and mm-hmm. vice versa. You know, yeah. if I look over and he's struggling, boom, I'm stepping in. What can I do to make to help him right. push a little bit farther? You know, swimming and running track are even though they're team sports, they're very individualistic pursuits. Yeah. You know? What was it that clicked or what point did you click and realize that, you know, you really, really had to be integrated into your team and focusing more on your team than your own performance at Buds. Did that happen pretty early for you? It, it did happen. Some people never get that, as you Yeah, It are happened aware. pretty early for me because, you know, there, there's rollbacks in a lot of classes, too. Yeah. So you learn from them a lot. So you learn, like, once I saw rollbacks come in, and then they start giving you advice, and you start mm-hmm. to learn how, how things operate. And, and a lot of stuff at Buds, too, is you're doing it in boat crews. Yeah. So you learn early off you're only successful as a boat crew most right. of a lot of the time mm-hmm. so you, you need you learn pretty well most people should learn pretty quickly that hey if we want to be successful it's this is a team effort here right. but that still involves you as an individual pushing as much as you possibly can because mm-hmm. again somebody's going to have a, a weak moment so you're under that log and someone's starting to struggle a bit maybe you take a little bit more weight for a little while then mm-hmm. boom they're back up mm-hmm. you're struggling and but if you're working together it's so much more easier to accomplish it so mm-hmm. When you have that whole mindset as working as efficiently as a team, it just makes it easier for you as an individual as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the profound truth there that you just, um, you just kind of brought out, and this is something that's lost in a lot of people, is when you are in an elite team, you're working with your team so the team can succeed, 
but you're not taking your eye off your own performance. You're still optimizing your performance. You're pu- still pushing as hard as you possibly can, but not at the detriment or not to sacrifice anything to do with the team's ability to succeed you know, at the mission. That's a fine dance. You know what yeah. I mean? That's kind of a, an interesting concept that a lot of people fail. Like you can surrender yourself to the team, and then your performance can go to shit, and now you're not doing the team any favors. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. That's pretty interesting. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Ample Meal. Now, Ample is a new entrant into the meal replacement market. So essentially, it's a healthy meal in a bottle. What I love about Ample is this is so much more than just a protein shake. It is a complete meal, including fiber, healthy fats, protein, and carbohydrates, all in a very convenient plastic bottle that you just shake it up, add water, shake it up, and then you drink it. And not only do you get hydrated, but you actually get a really well-crafted 400 or 600-calorie meal for busy professionals and athletes and warriors on the go. This thing is fantastic. I believe it's going to replace the MRE for the military because it's healthy. It's actually made out of very, very healthy, non-GMO, nothing artificial. You know, the fats are from like macadamia nuts and, you know, all sorts of good stuff in this thing. So terrific, terrific uh, new option for those of us who train hard and are busy professionals and sometimes just literally have to grab something and go. So at least we're going to get a complete meal now with ample meal. And listeners can use the code unbeatable if you go to amplemeal.com and for any order over 50 bucks you're going to get two bonus meals with your order so go to amplemeal.com use the code unbeatable for the special two bonus meals and trust me i use this every day now it's it's become my go-to and i love it so ample meal is awesome thank you guys thank you connor uh for creating this cool new food source hoo out here So um, what were the stats for your class? People always like to know that. Stats for my class. I'm going to be honest, I have a terrible memory on a lot of these things. I think we finished with, one, uh, with 32 or 34. Some of those guys were rollbacks for sure. A lot of those guys, were, we had a lot of rollbacks um, for every, every phase, obviously, yeah. and, which obviously affects the numbers. But uh, I can't think of the originals. Um, top of my head, I can't. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I knew that. For some reason, that was burned in my skull. You know, for my class. I've had a lot of like <coughs> a lot of memory loss, so I can't to be honest. I can't, anything I say that date wise, don't take for take the greatest salt here, guys. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right, so where did you go after buds? What was your career um, like? Went off to Seal Team Two, mm-hmm. so went to the East Coast. Yeah, and two operated back then in Europe. Uh, did you get to do a tour in Europe? Or I did not. Straight um, to the war zone. Straight to the war zone. Went to uh, Iraq first. Um, came back. Um, did another workup and then went to Afghanistan after that. Okay. What about those tours, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan? What can you tell us about them? Did you see a fair amount of combat and what type of missions were you doing? They were, they were both very active. Mm-hmm. Um, Afghanistan a little bit more active than, than Iraq at the time, and they're completely two different you yeah, know, missions. You know, One's more, can be a lot more urban stuff going on. The other ones, you're out you know, more rural type of, mm-hmm. type of things. But they were... Definitely great experiences. Again, you, still, you just build throughout training. You know, once, mm-hmm. even once Buds and SQT is over, you're still learning. You're always mm-hmm. training all the time, Absolutely. always striving to get better. And I think that if you ever find a time in your life that you feel like I am as good as I'm, I'm going to get, then you're, you're you, you need done. to move on to something else. Right. Like that's, yeah. you're never, never settle. You know, you want to always right. keep pushing um, to, to improve, not only for yourself, but for the platoon, for the team, mm-hmm. um, and so on. But the deployments themselves, they're, 
you know, great, great experiences that you learn so much. Like you can, you can train so much, but you're actually in those moments on the, on the deployments. You still really get that real, real world experience mm-hmm. is definitely a game changer as well. What was right. the scariest thing that happened to you? Scariest thing that happened? Either training or combat. Well, which one? I guess we can... <laughs> yeah, both. How about we do both? Yeah. Uh, I had some pretty damn scary moments in training. Tra- I would say training was we were doing a, we were working with the SWIC guy. So we got on a, um, a C-130, we're flying up to Delaware in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to jump out, hook up with the, the SWIC guys and go take down a, a prison. Mm-hmm. We did all this and it was, like a, it was like a week-long training or something like that. That was successful. Everything worked out, even though it was freezing cold. Probably the coldest I've ever been in the middle of winter, uh, middle of Maine. Uh, but one mission, we we're practicing um, an extraction of, of somebody. So mm-hmm. we had different, several different platforms, and we were, I was on the water platform. Mm-hmm. So we were taking Zodiacs in to go pick up somebody important. And as we're coming in, our motor dies. There's some massive swells coming in. We're all wearing dry suits because it's, it's freezing cold. Swells coming in, our engine dies, and we just go, you know, Atherantica. We just, oh, we, just, we just flip over. And the thing with these dry suits, like even if you think you got a lot of the air out of it, they're still buoyant yeah. like when you're in the water. So what happened was the Zodiac came on top of me, and my, my dry suit prevented me from getting out underneath it. So I was like stuck under the water, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> Holy shit. And I was just tangled, and like we had all this gear on there too. So I was like tangled all these straps. I started to panic at first because like I'm stuck in this. I'm not getting out. Yeah. I'm under the water, and I really started to think like this is this is could be this the could moment be that I'm yeah. drowning. I was like, oh, all, all the times I'm gonna do it in training right now. <laughs> Just got flipped in a zodiac, you know, <laughs> in cold freezing water. The worst thing <laughs> imaginable right now. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and I, and I feel like look, my lungs are burning. I feel like you know, my, you know, head just like zoning in. Like I'm starting to lose a lot of vision, even though it's, it's dark. But. And then I just sit there and I relax for a second. And I, I go back to the training. You know, whenever you're in some crazy situation, you go back to the bare minimum training that right. whatever muscle memory is grained into you. A pool and I, comp right there. Like pool comp right there. So I started, all I did was relax for a second. I just, I just completely stopped on my back, like pinned up against all this gear. And I just stopped struggling for a second. I just stopped struggling. You know, I just sit there, count to like, I count to three or four. And all I did was just calmly, I was like, one way or the other, at least I'm going to go like try to yeah. find like, the way out. So I'm just calm. And I just started slowly moving. And then one weird thing is when I was calm, like stuff started shifting because we're in the wave still. Mm-hmm. And magically like the straps were off me and I just reach over and I feel another leg over here. So I just kind of slowly push myself to that and I just gasp up at the last second, get all the air I need. But conveniently, the prop was still spinning right next to my head. So that was a close Holy one. Shit. <laughs> so the last one, you're like, get your full gasp of air, the prop's like zinging right next to you. But... Uh, but then, wow. you know, that was it's one of those moments that, you know, no matter how, what's ever going on, it's one of those obstacles that you just got to realize, just relax. Yeah. Just, I, I met most point. SEALs have some story like that. You know, I've got my version of that too, where I got stuck in an escape trunk of a submarine and my, oh. my air just, you know, I've watched it just go ding, ding. And then I'm like on my last breath and I'm just relaxing into it. And this is one where I actually had to rely on other people to help me out. And boom, all of a sudden the door opens and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll get another day, you know? <laughs> yeah, which brings a good point. Like in pool comp, you think like, oh, it's all dive specific or like drown proofing, but yeah. there's so many different scenarios. So many. That even in water or not, like another one I got stuck when I was like 15 foot deep, um, the buoyancy, we're doing an OTB and mm-hmm. the buoyancy in my ruck had popped 
It was mm-hmm. like, it had like three UDT vests in there or something using it right. to keep it buoyant. And they had all popped in. It just like, sunk like 15 foot feet deep. And it was the, the wrap down. had like a slip knot and it, it got stuck. So I was stuck on the bottom of it. And I'm here, I'm panicking, just getting churned around. But, you know, I was, again, relaxed, got a knife out, was able to cut it, yeah. get back up and, and go down. But it's definitely always those good training, yeah. training situations that you definitely learn from. No doubt. The ability to, to calm yourself and relax in, in those most extreme circumstances. Now, the whole point of that training is to prepare for combat. So what was the pressure like, you know, like on an ambush or, you know, were there situations where all of a sudden you fell out of control and then that same, you know, training kicked back in? Yeah, there's, for example, we were doing a, a route clearance trying to get to a location one time. And by this point, we'd already, two, we had lost two vehicles to IEDs already. And we just, it was like a mission was originally supposed to be like just two days, you know, there and back just to, to see, to test this new route, to see if mm-hmm. we can get there. And then like day three, it ended up being like five days instead of two days, but day three, you know, then my vehicle hits an IED and mm. there's rounds and you hear RPG just going everywhere and you get to sit there, like you're kind of stunned at first, but then you realize what's happening. You were happened. in a Humvee or, or? We were in the, like the big RG, like yeah. the bombard okay. uh, vehicles, you know, so it goes off, you know, you can't really see anything at first. It's all, you know, dusty and everything like that. Were those protected enough so that an IED could, would not kill anybody? Yeah, everyone would be fine in, in our vehicle. Well, we ended up a guy later on, but just wasn't anything physical. It was just like some, he just got messed up from the blast a little yeah. bit. Just kind of. In the early days, the Humvees would have been. Oh, yeah. That, toast, yeah. But in that situation, you want to get out and, you know, start checking. Make sure everyone's yeah. okay. But you still, then you go back to your training. Like, hey, first of all, we just did an ID. Let's, there could be other IDs around here. So you right. start thinking through the steps of mm-hmm. what should you do next? What's mm-hmm. the proper thing? Yeah, of course, I want to get out there and make sure everyone's okay, but first, let's not cause we any got more rounds damage. coming in too, right? Yeah, let's not cause yes. any more damage. You have to, let's take a second. Don't get too hyped up, assess mm-hmm. the situation, mm-hmm. and then make the best call from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the most interesting lessons in leadership that you learned from combat? You know, leading through crisis situations like that, you know, like an ambush or, you know, a firefight? Probably. A common one was, you know, Murphy's Law always is a thing that's going to happen. I mean, we can plan for every possible scenario and then something else yeah. that we didn't think was going to happen. Right. So I think just learning to be flexible and, you know, don't take too much onto your, to yourself. Like, do as much as you can, but also there's so many awesome people around you. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to be able to rely on anybody for anything. So there's times that, hey, I maybe, I think I'm... I want to be the one that does this, but maybe someone else is better. So yeah. understanding that leadership is more than just being gung-ho and charging forward, but mm-hmm. bringing up those, those around you. So like if you're an older guy in a platoon, those younger guys. And I learned, one thing you can learn is you can learn so much from everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not the go-to for everything. Right. You know, so many people have different life experiences, have mm-hmm. gone through so much or learned skills that mm-hmm. way better than I can at some mm-hmm. things. So, learning that you're not always the best at everything and that relying on others and learning from others, uh, no, matter, no matter your position, no matter your, your rank, you can always learn from somebody else mm-hmm. and, and apply those things. And that's one thing that we worked well in our platoon, ever from the OIC down was, you know, this is what we want to do. What's the best way of accomplishing it? And then everyone has a say, like everyone can figure out, like has an idea, has a, has a strategy, has something, and then you can build off of each other. Yeah, absolutely. What was your biggest screw up? My biggest screw up. Oh, probably so many of those, you know. <laughs> I know, right? It's a long list for me too. <laughs> biggest screw up. Man, it's a toughie. Uh, this was not a. Uh, well, 
say that's a screw up on my part. That was just bad timing, but oh, put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're not used to thinking of ours. I know. I, I like to learn from it and move on. Don't dwell on it. It's part of that memory erase, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, conveniently, I just bring all the bad things up. I've only done good things. <laughs> I'm sure that's real hardly true. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, let's flip it then. What do you consider to be like the thing that you are really proud of most that you kind of left behind with the seals? Either, you know, either uh, whatever, you know, whatever. What are you um, really proud of in that ten-year span in your service? Just like the, I have so many flaws and so many screw ups. There's still so many things that you're you're proud of and. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, other than the team, I was a, at first base. I was a first base instructor after right. I was in Afghanistan. I would say I had some, some proud moments of seeing, you know, as a proctor of a class, seeing training guys from seeing how they are day one to seeing how they are finishing training. Mm-hmm. See how much taking a guy that maybe wasn't the best at first and then seeing him being the top performer in the class. So just That's seeing cool. how much wow. of an impact you can have on a new generation of people mm-hmm. that are striving to become, which, what, like what we've become. That's yeah. their goal. And just seeing how much people can turn around, how much they learn, how much they learn of themselves. And a lot of things that I appreciated was, you know, a lot of trainees these days come with this attitude that, um, not an entitlement, but they need to, to learn, like, experience things before they... They need to empty their cup a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But so seeing that happen, as well as guys acknowledging who they are, taking a step back, like, hey, this mm-hmm. is, you know, where I am right now. How mm-hmm. can I get better? And seeing the guys that have strived, seeing the guys that went from being an individual to being the biggest team player in the class mm-hmm. type of thing. So let me ask about that buds experience, you know, cause I, I, I was never a, an instructor at buds, but you know, through seal fit, mm-hmm. we put thousands of students through kind of, of a similar type of training, which you, you saw. And I've surprised sometimes, you know, both positive and negatively about human nature, oh, yeah. you know? And so what were some of the things that surprised you as an instructor? Which, you know, very different experience than going through Buzz as a student. You just obviously don't see things the same way. You're completely, you have a completely different viewpoint of what the experience is as an instructor. So what surprised you? So well, one thing I learned that surprised me when I first became an instructor. So when you're a student, you go through, it seems like complete chaos all the time. Yeah, right. You know, all this stuff's happening. But getting on the back end of it, being an instructor, seeing how much detail, how much planning goes into every aspect. Yeah, even the chaos. Even the chaos. It's all yeah. controlled chaos in a way. Right. But as a student, there's so much going on. Your, your eyes are wide open trying to you know, take everything out. Drink it from a fire hose, trying to right. take in as much as you can. And you think, wow, this is so crazy. And then on the back side of the instructor, it's all such, so strategic, so mm-hmm. such planned chaos that it's, it just, it's amazing to see how much, what can be done yeah. and how the different viewpoints are on each side. Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely. So um, you finished your career at Buds, is that kind I of? I did. And, and why did you decide to get out? What was the impetus for you? So me, I was on the fence about it. You know, I was at, on the 10-year t- mark. I was like, do I want to stay in? Do I want to get out? Do I want to do something while I'm young enough to t- try something new? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I learned more about Legacies Live, the nonprofit that I did mm-hmm. the, the swim for. And, then, and I learned about so two of my good friends are part of this, this organization. Mm-hmm. And... I learned about Mike Vitti, um, one of the co-founders, who was doing the first challenge. So now this guy had, he was in the army, he got out, he had this really successful job, and he's like, I want to keep serving in some aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanna, these Gold Star families need, to, we need what can we do? Mm-hmm. And he quit his job, went up to Seattle, and it's like, I'm going to walk one kilometer for every service member that was killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. 
Interesting. Because we just stopped everything, went up there, and just started. And so you helped hiking. them out on that. Oh, you went with them? Uh, I wasn't there first. So this is, this okay. is when I learned about I see. this okay. nonprofit. And they, this or Legacies Alive was made on his journey. Got it. Okay. So he walked down from Seattle down to San Diego, over to Savannah, Georgia, up to the Baltimore. And, you know, learning way, how, how many kilometers was that? Or how many steps was that? Was it, you say one step? or One, one kilometer for every one service member. One kilometer for every service member. Um, which obviously the numbers changes you yeah, know, yeah. all the time. But so when he was coming through San Diego, I learned about what he was doing. That's cool. You know, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I like what he's doing. I like why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's was kind of an inspiration for mm-hmm. me. So just because, then it clicked for me that just because I'm not serving in the military doesn't mean I can't serve in some other mm-hmm. aspect. So I got to know him very well and what he was doing and, and help out with this, this organization. And one thing this organization does is extreme challenges to raise awareness mm-hmm. for what a Gold Star family is. And a Gold Star family is a, a family that's lost a loved one in service to the country. So doing these extreme challenges to raise money to meet families along the journey, mm-hmm. connect them together, and just make sure that eventually our goal is that one day you can walk up to anybody in the street and they're going to know what a Gold Star family is. Because there's tons mm-hmm. of people that don't, don't know what that term is. Right. So I was helping them, like, what could be this next challenge? What could be the next huge endeavor that someone could take on to, to raise this awareness? So I was helping mull over ideas, like, oh, you've done a hike. You know, what's something that not everyone's has done before that's so crazy, physically, mentally demanding, that could really draw people to it? Like, well, what about a swim somewhere? Um, then the Mississippi River came up, and I started researching. I was like, is that doable? I was like, yeah. research, like, yeah, that's, I think that's doable. You know, that's something that could be done. <laughs> and then... That's when it clicked for me. It's like, all right, I'm getting out because this is what I feel I was meant to do, which is to take on the swim. And I told right. them, yep, I'll, I'll do that. I'll swim the river, even though I hated swimming. And I thought in, in Bud's swimming, you I thought done, was the worst right? thing ever. I hate the, more oh, than no. any evolution, swims were my downfall. Couldn't stand them. Couldn't stand them. So you went after the, the hardest, nastiest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, if find. you're going to do it, go big. You know, go just big, like when yeah. I was young, saw that video that, that Starting class summer to finishing class summer. Yeah. Hey, if you're going to strive, you know, shoot for the stars. And it was like, if you're going to do a swim, do the hardest one you can, pot, you can find. Yeah, I mean, no one's probably even thought of swimming the Mississippi. Like, why would you want to do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not you, but why would anyone else want to do, do it again? Yeah. I would if I had to. But All right, so to. how long did it take to plan the swim? Like, what were the details or how did it, you know, come, come about? So me and a couple other, other team guys got together and we started you know, really planning. We were, we were the, the swim team mm-hmm. dedicated for this organization to, to really do all the planning. So we started researching, you know, the river. How long is it? What can you encounter? Which is really hard because planning for swimming something like the river is not very simple, which you would assume because, you know, look, there's so many aspects of it. You know, yeah. what, what are you going to encounter? What's the river like here? What's it there? What's, how does it change all the time? What's, you know, the ship traffic? What, how do you overcome all these obstacles? So, Pretty much what we did, we just planned for everything we could possibly think of. You know, we would sit late nights on a whiteboard writing things, getting on the computer researching it, we're just making all these notes on... What were some of the biggest risks that you had to... Some of the biggest things that we we planned for for the swim, dangerous-wise, was pushing out the wildlife in the river. Mm-hmm. You know, you got... Up north, there's nothing crazy. It's, you know, you got like some beavers and water, uh, river otters, stuff like that. But then down south, you have... You have snakes, you have alligators, you have bull sharks. Really? You have all, bull sharks can live in fresh water for up to a year, I believe. No shit. So I remember the point in the river, I got to the point like, oh, this is where the northernmost bull shark was found. <laughs> okay, cool. Great. <laughs> um, so, okay, so let's, let's focus on the bull shark. Like, okay. Did you carry a stun gun or something like that? I, did, I didn't carry anything. Nothing. I didn't, uh, nope, I just... You just prayed. <laughs> you pretty much left it for fate. I hate it. 
if it's gonna happen, because the water's so dark, like dark. You can't anyway. see you shit. Can't, you, as soon as you go in the water, it's black. So it's like even if there was something in the water underneath, like I, it's, it's really hard to. I'm going by feel at that point. And I was like, I'm, you know, what am I gonna do? So extra drag. Let's just swim and we'll. Did you if it see happens, any it alligators or any sharks or anything? Didn't see any sharks. We heard word of sharks down the river, like some boats or something seeing them, but never saw them myself. Snakes were on the banks. The alligators a lot of time. So we'd take sometimes these side canals to get in and out of the river on this boat to get to the start point. So we'd GPS plot or start and finish every single day. And you would see their little trails and uh, their bubbles from where they are under the water and stuff like that. But never had any. They're pretty much going to leave you alone. They are. Especially there's so much ship traffic down that way anyway that they're staying out of the middle of the river. They get across real quick, but they're not coming out there after. That's what I figured, you know. Now, when you charted your course, the, the Mississippi's pretty wide in some areas, right? I mean, it is. It starts, it's so crazy. It goes from like 12 feet across that you can walk to, I think at one point, because there's so many lakes on it as well, I would say it, it can be up to like five miles wide at some point. Like it's no shit. three and a half. Like there's some pretty substantial wide areas on there. And you had a very specific route that you were trying to map in terms of like when you got to these big areas, these five, you just go straight down the middle or were you trying to hug the side or uh, it really what was depends. the actual strategy in you terms know, of? You're trying to stay in this. You couldn't stay in the center of the river because you, you I, I had tried ship to. traffic. I tried to. So, you did. So this is what you had to do. Like, so starting off, it was just me swimming and a, and a guy in a kayak in front of me. And what okay. he was doing, he was helping me navigate obstacles in the water because the water starts off pretty clear, and then as you get farther south, it gets dirtier and dirtier. Yeah. You get more factories and major cities and stuff like that. Yeah. So he was guiding in front of me. So when I when I was swimming, you know, he's like when you're doing an ocean swimming thing, you get get to guide off something. Yeah. So he was pretty much my guide. So if I see him start angling this way, then I'm I'm, I'm starting to turn that way, mm-hmm. or I'm avoiding something, or he'd be pointing out something when I when I look up at him. And he also hand me snacks and stuff occasionally. But mm-hmm. so we start off. I'd be following him, and then we would plan it each day, one day at a time. I see. Yeah. So we would look at the map. We'd look at where we'd like to get to. Where, right. where are we shooting for? You know. Okay. Say so we hit there. If we have more time, do we want to shoot here? So we have like. A, B, and C plans. Right, you know, right. if we got to cut it short, this is this is where yeah. we want to get to. So we would look at it. Are we? What are we encountering that day? And we kind of plan it as best as we could. Mm-hmm. So if we encountered a lake, we'd look at how long is the lake? What what section of the day is it coming into? Am I going to hit this huge? Yeah, you don't want to be in the middle of the lake and have it be the end of the day, and then have to swim two miles exactly. to shore. Because believe that's it, that, that's the weirdest thing. Like you can look at you know a map of the river. And we're like, oh, it says you've gone five miles on the river miles on these canoe maps. Because right. that's what we're using, canoe maps. Right. But then we have a GPS with us, and the river map says, oh, you've gone 15 miles, but our GPS says you've gone 19 miles. Because there's so many switchbacks and bends right. that you're, you're swimming so much more than it actually says. Interesting. And up north, it's super swampy, too. So that's why if you look at the internet, you kind of Google how long is the Mississippi River, you'll hear, see anything from 2,350 to 2,550 because up north, it's swampy and the river changes so much. Really? It, it shifts around. There's parts I was swimming along and I could see like this grass, these huge weeds on top, but you can go underneath, but how the river flowed. So all these things shift around with storms and everything like that, huh. which makes at one point I was swimming along, I just smelled something so terrible going along. I'm like, what is that? Something smells dead. And I run smack dead into this like skeleton deer, like just got tangled in this grass in the oh. water. And, you know, we just bumped heads and I was like, I'm going to get some disease now, but, but I didn't. But, you know, so we'd counter a lake like in the middle of the day, beginning of the day, we just kind of plan what's the best option. So if, you know, the river enters the lake at one side, does it come out where on the other portion of the lake? Because sometimes it, you know, you enter it from the north and it comes out on the southeast or southwest. So like yeah. you would, is it best to hug this side? Does it, is it looped around or you can swim more if you go around or is it a straight shot? What's better? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we try to tailor it as much as possible. We mm -hmm. try to shoot for the straightest line for, for anything. And mm -hmm. even going down the river, you know, we would stay in the middle of the channel until we saw ship. Are there any locks in this? There's 26 locks and dams. 26 locks. Um, so you'd swim there, then you'd go around the lock. You so I would go up to <laughs> go through the lock. Would you? No, I was not allowed to go oh, through really? the lock. So okay. how it was, like it's, it's super safety and just yeah, yeah. how dangerous it was. But I would go up to the lock, and they have like a little ladder next to it. So I touch it, climb the ladder, um, walk to the other side, wait for the guy in the kayak. He would actually go in. They lower it. Then I would go down the other side, and we continue on. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so which which you had to plan into your day as well. So yeah, yeah. which is so hard to plan a day. It's like oh, I'm going to swim. So we started setting for hours for time-wise. Like right. almost, if we didn't have an event, because the goal is to meet families. So, yeah, so along swimming. the way, you're trying to actually go to locations where families can meet you. Yeah, so the whole point of the swim, it wasn't for the achievement of swimming the river. Right. It was to meet as many families as possible, right. to hear their stories and learn about their loved ones. So I would tailor swimming around that. So if I had a meeting early in the morning, I'd go and meet as many families as I could and then swim later in the day or try to start early and go to a How many hours a day would you try to get in? So I would try to do six to 10 hours a day of swimming. Mm -hmm. um, Starting off, I'd get out and like eat on the side of the river, and mm -hmm. but I'm just sitting there looking at it. And I was like, man, I can be making so many miles right now. So, <laughs> so I started switching to I would just eat. I would just kick. I'd sit on my back and just kick like a little, like a little fish, a little otter, and just eat, you know, yeah, yeah. like that way. Turtle back, and which made up, you know, some time. Of course, it's miserable because you're not getting out of the water, you know, that, right. that, that breather. But you're always, you know, you're moving. What was your skin like? Did you get all? Did you get any sores and all? Nasty Surprising, thing? nothing really. I had nothing. no major. And did you skin get issues. sick at all from? Any I did get sick. Well. I did one infection up north. There's a lot of leeches up north. So, you know, if I didn't catch them earlier on in the swim, then and get them off, then they would be sucking on me all day long. So yeah. one was underneath my, I had booties on. Yeah. Underneath my booties, so I ripped it off in the, in the shower and it ripped him off and it caused his teeth, I guess, got caught in there and got infected. Um, that's only skin infection wise, and I was just because of that. But farther south, as the river got more disgusting i guess you know because you have cities like you know, memphis new orleans st louis that you're going through yeah, yeah. i'd start to get sick every day like i would just not like i'm like not stomach sick you're like just, stomach sick i'd be some, swimming some along water and some of the nasty shit yeah some i'd be swimming along all of a sudden i get super nauseous i just start vomiting all over the place and wow. then after that after like you know a couple minutes of that then i'd feel fine i just start swimming again it's amazing the human body could just you know yeah. ward off all that right. crap so yeah, I feel like you weren't taking like CPACs every day to prevent you know did you have any meds at all? That to I had some. So infection? I had a, a a doctor on standby. That if I was starting to feel any, if I was hurting anyway, I was starting to feel sick anyway, I would call him up if I needed to and start giving my symptoms, and he would make a recommendation. Like, hey, do this or do that. Yeah. But there was nothing, you know, different that I did to yeah. to combat it. You know, maybe more probiotics or stuff like that, but yeah. nothing like all these antibiotics on standby, yeah, anything like that. Nothing like that. And what was your diet like? What did you eat every day? That was a good thing about swimming. So I still lost 30 pounds doing <laughs> it, but I could eat, you know, kind of like buzz, you could eat whatever you wanted. You know, starting yeah. off, I- There's only know, so much you could eat while you're on your back you could, swimming though, yeah. right? So I, like, well, so you're, you're not gonna like have a trite tip or something. Be, <laughs> you'd be surprised what, when you get sick of food, what you'll manage to eat while swimming on your back. <laughs> well, starting off, I was trying to eat good. I, I had all these like, all these supplements, I was like, it's protein. I was just doing like these bars, all right. this stuff as possible. Then I was like, I'm getting so sick of that. If you're eating the right. same thing every single day. So then I started 
switching up to whatever, you know, whatever I could get. Cheetos. We would go in, we'd go restock on food. And I'm just like going down the junk food aisle, just piling it in, you know, because I need it. Because I need, I was hungry all the time you just too. needed calories, yeah. So I was swimming along. I was, there's days that you see me, there's pictures of me just eating donuts, <laughs> going in the water. Like I got Subway sandwiches, just everything you think of, you know, I was sitting there. If, I could, if they could hand it to me in the water, I'm eating it, you know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. This podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now we all know that green juice is good for us. But juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune and it's super time consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi Green Juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi. I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com, and these guys are super generous. I know the founder, and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code UNBEATABLE at checkout, and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes to this episode. Organifi.com. Hoo-yah. You were probably burning like 20, 15 or 20,000 yeah, calories. Yeah, you know, I wasn't getting in early in the morning. I wasn't getting out of the water till yeah, know, just the, later just the in the water evening. itself will suck your suck Because even if I'm not swimming, I'm still kicking. I'm still yeah. doing something. And that's a common misconception about the Mississippi River as well. Every time I talk to somebody, like, oh, you know, at least you had a huge current to go with you. The average current of the Mississippi is like one knot, mm-hmm. and that's only in certain areas. So mm-hmm. you think you have 26 locks and dams. So there's a lot of back currents. Yeah. So the most miles I did in a day was like right over 28. One day, I could do 28 miles one day. The next day, it took me an hour to go half a mile. Okay. Just because of storms or back currents. You know, there's one day that there's like 10 foot swells that we had to pull the boats out because it's so dangerous. Like, wow. There's so many, like, it could be like the ocean out there, especially when it's super wide. And there's days that I can't see one side of the bank and then like huge waves are rolling in. You're like, you feel like you're out in the middle of the Pacific somewhere. But yeah, really, right. you're just in this, this river, which I didn't expect. You know, I'm no, thinking the river, that no could be nice and simple. Yeah, but, you'd think you'd be able to see the shore the whole time. But when there was current, it was super nice. You know, I was making better time than yeah. fighting it. What were some of the most memorable moments with regards to like the families you met and, you know, the impact you were having? And the awareness and, and also the, you know, what it meant for these families that you would sacrifice, yeah, you know, that's, like that. That's what really got me through, you know, day to day is you really got to focus on, you know, why I was doing something like right. that. So like it can get pretty, the most difficult part of it wasn't the physical aspect, probably the mental aspect yeah, of course. it because, you know, you're swimming, you're in your own head all the time and, mm-hmm. you know, you, when you're, you run out of things to think about eventually. So you kind of get a zone out, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, oh shit, uh, what am I doing I've gone now? through so, the entire catalog in my brain. So then you start focusing on now, my shoulder hurts. So then right. you're thinking about how bad your shoulder hurts, but. You didn't listen to music or anything like that? I tried to. So there's. Uh, a company that they waterproofed iPods and I was yeah. testing them some out. So if I broke one, I'd send it to them they, and they make it better. So I was, I was trying to, and then once it developed, uh, the second half, I started doing like audio books and stuff like that mm-hmm. too. Just help. It didn't always work, but at least it was broken up the monotony of mm-hmm. something. You know, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I'm not following the story, but at least I'm listening to, you know, something mm-hmm. different. But, but what really got me through today was thinking about my conversations with the families that mm-hmm. I met. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had a kayak, the kayak that went down with me, every time I had the privilege of meeting a family, they would write the name of their loved one, a little message on there. So whenever I'm having mm-hmm. a terrible, like I'm struggling, I'm having a rough time right now. I'm, I'm feeling pretty miserable. I can look up at that kayak and see these names on there. And I realize, you know, 
no matter how difficult this is right now, it's going to be over at some point. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to get out of the water. Mm -hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to go be able to lay down and you know, rest. These families have to live with their burden for the rest of their lives. So what is it for me to push, push a few more hours to overcome this day um, when these families have to, there's nothing they can do about their loss and they're still dealing with mm -hmm. it. So I was like, mm -hmm. what's that? What's a few more hours? You know, what's, a, mm -hmm. what's five more miles? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, is, what is that to that? So, and I would just think about the stories they tell me. And I want to, every time I had a meeting with a family, I'd run over what we talked about in my head mm -hmm. a lot. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I think about. So I learned about a family. I think about, when I talked to them, I didn't just talk about how they, they lost them. I learned about how they, were, how they were lost, but I also talk about the happy memories. You know, who were they as a person? What mm -hmm. did they like to do growing up? What were their hobbies? You know, what are some funny stories? Just to keep that legacy of who they really were yeah. um, alive. So that's what I think about, you know, those, those families just to keep it fresh in my mind. And when I'm swimming down the river, I would look up at a name and be able to, like, remember that story about that person mm -hmm. uh, that's on there. Who, who's that hero in the kayak? And I think about them, and I, I move through mm -hmm. um, thinking about that, that story and who they were. Then I look at another name and be focusing on what family am I going to meet next? You know, mm -hmm. what next, what's the next city that I'm going to have a chance to, to meet some more families. But some of the most impactful things for me, there's one day that I swam, it was freezing cold out, you know, it was pouring down rain. I had a, I had a long day and I got out of the, the river and there's a family standing on the bank. They're waiting for me. And they just come up to me crying, hugging me. Cause I was just wet and disgusting. They're <laughs> hugging me with tears in their eyes, thanking me for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. like, even though I didn't know who their son was, the fact mm -hmm. that I was still honoring him mm -hmm. and ensuring that his loss, you know, was it's, his sacrifice is not forgotten. Right. That, that's what that was impactful for me. And then having families that would drive five hours one way just to see me for an hour and then go home, drive right back. How did they all find out about this? So we would try to do as much local media as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's other Gold Star family organizations in the area, like mm -hmm. the survivor outreach services mm -hmm. that we got in connection with. Mm -hmm and that they would hand us off state by state. So how, how many much, folks do you think you connected with on the trip? On the kayak itself, I have over 215 signatures. So that's just <laughs> 215 that I met in person. Um, plus, there's, there's numerous that mm -hmm. I'll travel. Like there's one weekend that I went to the Iowa State Fair. So we packed up because the Gold Star families were doing a parade in the fair and they asked us, we come join us in the parade. So we packed everything up and I you know, drove out there just to spend the day and with all those families and having a good time at a fair and then drive back and get in the water the next morning and go. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's the mental <coughs> aspect. Besides being in your head all day, is like you're giving all this effort. It's physically demanding and you're mentally exhausted, but you have to stay on top of your game because when you get out of the river, you're talking to someone who paid the ultimate, like that family paid the ultimate sacrifice. So if I get out of the water, I'm just acting tired and drained. Right. What good is that going to do? Okay, you're not going to exactly. help anything. So you have to make sure that mentally that you just kind of wake yourself up and realize what you're doing and just mentally keep yourself sharp to have that conversation and, and remember what these people are talking to you about. And these awesome families that are sharing their, the stories of their loved ones. That's amazing. And how did you determine where the finish line was? No, um, did, was it the Gulf of Mexico when you yeah, there's actually, saw blue water again? <laughs> yeah, was, you actually see a kind of a little bit of change there, but there's some, there's mile markers going down. So we use the canoe maps as well as like the Corps of, U.S. Corps of Engineers that they're, they're river maps as well. So they have like markers on there. So on the side mm. of the river, occasionally you'll see little markers. Mm. So at the Gulf of Pass, it's called the, the head of passes where the river kind of splits off into like three different directions. There's actually a little wooden platform there with like a mile marker zero sign on there. So once that's where that, the river boom, starts on the south end, yeah. huh? <clears throat> so when you pass that, what did that feel like? Man, it was so incredible for me when, as soon as I finished, you know, I look up families from 10 different states had traveled down there to, no be, kidding. to be at that finish. And you can only get to that location by boat. So I had all these 
awesome volunteers down in we're out there in boats waiting for you out there in boats so oh, people cool. volunteer the boats we're trying to find the organization trying to find boats that all these people travel down there we want them to be able to, to be there for that experience and so when as soon as i've like that was the most powerful for me when i finish i look up and i see all these families together on these boats just having a great time just clicking and bonding and just sitting there dancing being the boats so all kind of together like yeah one they're big all kind of lined barge. up you know with some oh, fire boats out there just shooting water hoses you know ah. people cheering music playing so seeing families from 10 different states just clicking and being able to have that that mutual understanding of what they're going through because they're truly the only ones that understand the pain and suffering they're going through mm-hmm. but seeing them connect and just having a great time was the biggest impact for me you know as soon as i crossed and that what, what was the first thing that you did when you Cross the line and finished after you got out of the water. So actually, we you know got up on top of that platform, you know, got the American flag, held it up there, and kind of just waved to the families, just talked to them, and then you know kind of really enjoy the moment. Just yeah. seeing how yeah. happy they were made me even more happy. You oh, know? cool! Yeah, because they you know they were there encouraging me all along the way. You know, right. every time I met a family, a lot of them you know we keep tabs, keep in contact, right. and just seeing how everything was going. So having them share that experience with me was the biggest thing, and. So I got up there, you know, we got the whole team, because it's a team thing. You know, I swam mm-hmm. it, but there's yeah, yeah. other people that helped me get down the river, too. I couldn't dump the guy in the, in the kayak in front of me, the guy um, in the second half who was in the boat. Was it the same kayaker who took you the whole thing? Yeah, so, so I had, um, we that's had a very pretty, small team. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah, we had a very small team. Um, so it was me swimming, a guy in a kayak, and, then, and a guy on land in a truck. So okay. a lot of the time spent, that's why our days were so long. So sometimes we'd, we'd have three vehicles, we'd up in our vehicles, drive to the town, you know, put our camping gear, whatever we had, like all with us, drive back up, start the swim, and try to finish. And we kind of bounce like that. So there's a lot of stuff on the front end, back just end logistically, yeah. of, of going with a small team. But the guy that kayaked with me, he came in two weeks in and he did the entire uh, way with me mm-hmm. down there. So, you know, having without him, because he would be on the radio if we saw barges, because we had to make a decision, because I relied on him so much to guide me in that river. So he's on the lookout, like all these ships are coming out here, like, because they can't just easily turn and get out of your way. They're massive barges. Did they know in advance that you were going to be on the river? The barges and stuff like that? Yeah. Some did. Some so did. we met a lot of great barges that would, that would pass it on. And we would let certain authorities know, hey, we plan on being between mile marker 784 and 710 between this day. Yeah. And they'd be on the lookout for us. As well, if we saw one, he would be on the channel letting them know, hey, this is, this is us. We're here. What would you like us to do? Mm. A lot of time. Because... If we couldn't get them on the radio, it would take them like a mile to be able to move and turn those things sometimes. So mm-hmm. they can't really get out of our way. I have to get out of their way. Plus, I don't want to mess up the normal ship traffic too. Everyone's, mm-hmm. everyone's got a job. Everyone's trying to do stuff. I don't want to yeah. mess that up. So whenever we saw something, we would try to hug it out of the channel, hug one side or the other. A lot of barges, they would talk back to us and like, oh, no, you're good where you are. Or some ask, hey, do you need anything? We had so many ships that come up to us and say, like, hey, can we help you out? You know, what, what can you need? Or they'd pass us on. They'd be like, hey, look out for this. Going down the river. That's give cool. us advice. Very cool. Um, but yeah, which is super helpful. Yeah. We had a lot of uh, fire departments and police that, like, through major city. St. Louis is probably the most dangerous part of the river. That, you know, they had giant, like, barge fleets out there. And the river's moving so quick through there that so many people will die in there because you can't get out of the way. So if, even if I'm swimming sideways right towards the river, if there's a fleet there, I can't necessarily get out of the way. So they have like, these ropes with loops on them, two fireboats that... If they saw that I couldn't get away, then they're throwing these ropes at me to try to yank me. So to get they away. went kind of alongside you while you mm-hmm. were swimming through that. So they'd, they'd block off other boats, <clears throat> and then when they'd one go up ahead to see what ship's traffic were coming up, they'd come back, let us know, hey, start shifting this way or start shifting that oh, way. Oh, cool. Um, and one which is there for safety purposes in case. So the team effort really extended to law enforcement, first responders, and all the big cities. All those the, major cities. The barge that came traffic through. itself, the Gold Star families. It was all one big. It is. 
uh, even for lodging. Intersected you know? team, interlocked team. So a lot of families would that we met would open up their homes. So we'd spend the night in these families, or we'd camp on the side of the river. Or people would bring us food yeah. and all this other stuff. It's a whole events for us, and what an amazing experience. Awesome. How many miles in all did you swim on that that event? I would say. It's hard to say. So I definitely did the more than two thousand three hundred fifty. I yeah. I would I can safely say I did over two thousand five hundred fifty. I definitely did over that. Yeah, because <laughs> like you're saying, there's some of that days that you just have no idea how how far you went with all the little based side. off of the mile markers and how our our GPS would say. Because we would lose our GPS sometimes, but we right. base on the average of for every five river miles, I'm doing six miles type right. of thing or right. seven miles, depending on how how the turns of the river are. So based off of that, I know. Plus the lakes, you know, if you're mm. having to start from a bank somewhere, swim out to get across the lake and then start cutting down. Or if you have to get out of the way of barges, here I am swimming over here and then the zigzag to back over there. Mm-hmm. So all, a lot of extra stuff yeah. is going on. So it's hard to say exactly, but I'm 100% comfortable saying over 2,550. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well done. So um, what do you think your next challenge is going to be? Do you have any ideas yet? Um, so for legacy level, we do we we try to pass the torch off to yeah. the next person. Do and actually our next challenge starts uh, next month. Okay. So um, a gold star mom who lost her son is going to bike from San Diego to the World Trade Center. Oh, cool! Uh, she's kicking that off on June 11th. Okay. Are you going to be on the support team for that at all? Uh, starting off, I'm going to be on the support team. I want to try to go out as much as I can because having a support team is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes so much stress off of the person doing the challenge if mm-hmm. they know the team is taking care of them or everything's planned. So if you're doing the challenge and you have to worry about anything else, that makes mm-hmm. your life so much easier. Mm-hmm. You're just putting more pressure if the challenger has to worry about other aspects of mm-hmm. it. So yeah, that's my goal is to make sure everything is as easy as possible for her yeah. to accomplish. That's cool. And what do you think is in the future you know, for you? Like what, what's beyond you know, continuing to do work for the, you know, this foundation or others? What do you think um, your next kind of area of focus is going to be career-wise and what's in the future for, um, for so Chris for, Ring? Well, for Chris Ring, uh, <laughs> I would say... The Chris Ring show. <laughs> obviously, is continuing with Legacy Life, you're saying, is supporting a lot of nonprofit work is, yeah. is the easy answer. As much as I can to give back um, to these families, to keep serving that aspect of these families gave the ultimate sacrifice, so I want to do everything I can to keep serving them. That's cool. So as... Not just in any nonprofit too, because one thing about Legacy Lab, we would work with other nonprofits. Because mm-hmm. we're a small nonprofit, there's other nonprofits that can do stuff that we can't do. So let's mm-hmm. go help each other up, be mutual beneficial, mutually beneficial in that aspect, and continue on and seeing how uh, SealFit goes and helping out yeah. as much as I can there, and just yeah. uh, just trying to do everything. You do some really. shoot training too with some of your teammates. I do. We do like a lot of um, work with help with a company called SureShot, where mm, I remember SureShot. Yeah. We do uh, a lot of civilian. Uh, it's a civilian readiness company, so we train, you know, in sh- uh, firearms, shooting, at-home defense, natural mm-hmm. disaster preparedness, mm-hmm. anything training you want to learn, we can come up with it. And mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I certainly look forward to seeing you at the next Kokoro camp, and yeah. you know, having you jump into the fray <laughs> in some controlled chaos. I look forward to it. <laughs> That'll be awesome. What was your? Uh, I mean, that was the first time that you got to experience what we do, and you know, we've been at that for ten years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kokoro for me is a labor of love, but. Uh, what were your thoughts after observing that? I was very impressed with how, yeah. how everything is put together. You know, from taking the concept of what you're not gonna you're not gonna go to Kokoro and be disappointed with the experience you're getting. Yeah. It's gonna be right. everything that you expect from it, if not more. Right. You know, it's it's 
every training aspect of it is, you know, you know where it comes from. You know where the basis of it, you know, from this Bud's lifestyle. And then if that's your goal is to get that experience, then you're going to get it by doing that. Core yeah. yeah, well said. That's true. Awesome. Um, any final thoughts for, for folks who are listening? Any uh, motivational thoughts or comments uh, to help people kind of navigate their, their day or their lives? Yeah, yeah I would say there's kind of two things I can think about. Kind of my earlier statement was like time stops for no man. So, you know, as you're pushing through to strive for your goal, you know, realize that no matter, don't take time for granted, I could say. So mm-hmm. I use the aspect of time stops for no man as I use it apply to when times are rough, but you can also apply it to when times are good as yeah. well. So right. things are going well for you, but remember, it's not, maybe not last forever. So take advantage right. of what it is and really Know, live up to what you're experiencing in a moment. And then on the back end, if things are going rough, no, hey, that's not going to be forever. You're going to overcome it. And my next is, is obstacles. Everyone's going to face obstacles in life, but obstacles are not a bad thing. Everyone's mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm hitting this, man. What, this is terrible. But mm-hmm. take advantage of that obstacle. Like it's a reset point. You know, what am I capable of? What am I not capable of? Where am I at in life right now? You know, what can I learn? What can I do better? And just yeah. take advantage of those obstacles to improve yourself and to be a better person. Yeah. Awesome. That's your teacher. <laughs> The yeah. obstacles, the obstacles, the way. <laughs> obstacles, the way. Always and strive to be better. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Chris. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks Super for appreciate having it. Me. Yeah, really, uh, very much enjoyed the conversation. And I'm just imagining right now, like, wow, would I have the balls to go swim 2,500 miles? <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've laid down the gauntlet. Well, it's doable. So <laughs> it is doable. Now we know. <laughs> Hoo ya! All right, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Super appreciate your time, Chris and I do, and we know that there's lots more work to do, so it's time for you to get back to work. Stay focused, do your training, and we'll see you next time. Hoo-yah. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly. But when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now. And it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia.